And then there was this tree in the Garden of Eden. And I think it's because he wanted us not to have cat mentality where we would think we are God and he's there to serve us. And so he put a tree in to establish free will, to establish this foundation where we would actively choose to love him. Because without freedom and free will, there is no love. And Adam decides to rebel against God. He decides that he wants to go his own way. And I think at the core part of sin, it's, sin is about us. And sin is about our happiness and our dreams and our will over the will of God in abuse to others. And in some ways, we celebrate that as a culture, right? Go do your thing at the expense of everyone else. And Adam did that. He, uh, Adam and Eve, they ate this fruit in rebellion against God. And because of what he did, sin entered the world. And all of a sudden, instead of walking with God face to face, we see them hide away. And God says, where are you? And I'm not sure if it was as much spatial as it was relational. Like sometimes my wife and I are, are distant even though we're close. It's like, hey, where are you? And then there was separation with each other. We put on clothes. And not just physical shirts and pants, but we put on masks. And we build walls and borders. And we are afraid to be vulnerable. And there was a separation from the earth, and it became violent towards us, and we are threatened by it. And with the sweat of our brow, we try not to die. And our dreams are trumped by just surviving. But then, and so when Adam sinned, he sinned as a representative for all of us. It's like a congressman or senator who goes to Capitol Hill and he represents us. He casts a vote or he, or he puts down a ballot and he's saying, I, my decision and the repercussions of decision is not just for me, but included in that is all of California or all of you know, Texas. And that was Adam for us. He represented us and he removed all of us from God, all of us from each other, all of us from the earth. And we were born as a son of his decision, a son of rebellion, a daughter of sin, and at the core of us, we really care about ourselves so much that we're willing to push God and others away. But then there's this other garden, and there's this other Adam who can represent us as well. In this other garden, Jesus walks away from the upper room where he had just given his discourse, where he had drawn the disciples into the most intimate prayer. And now he's at the second garden where he is in great agony thinking about what it means to obey God, what it means to do his will, what it means to carry the sins of the world on his shoulder and take the wrath of God for us. 
And he's praying, take this cup from me. I don't want to suffer like this. He's in so much distress that capillary veins in his forehead are starting to burst and sweat and blood mingle down with his tears. And we get to sit next to Jesus and see the most fragile moments of his life. That for the first time in eternity, the will of the Father and the will of the Son are separated. And he's fighting to obey God. Not my will, but your will be done. As we jump into John chapter 18, it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a dispatchment of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus knew knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Judas was on the side of the soldiers. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And he said, I told you that I am he. If you, look, if you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words that he had spoken might, would be fulfilled. I have lost not one of those you gave me. So Jesus is finishing his prayer. Judas walks towards him to betray him with a kiss. And Jesus as fully man and fully God, answers them from his divinity, and he lets that part of him kind of seep through, and immediately their swords become like plastic soldier toys. Like, they just fall to the ground. And Jesus is just kind of demonstrating, hey, it's you're not arresting me. You have no power over me. And in that authority, he commands them to let his disciples go. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The cup is an illustration for suffering. Then the dispatchment of the soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officers arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Ananias who is the father-in-law of Cephas, the high priest that year. Cephas, who was was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that was good for one man, if one man died for the people. So we have this other garden um, that is in contrast with the Garden of Eden. And we have this other man, this other Adam, who is in contrast with the first Adam. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam begins his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus comes to his life's end in order to give life to us. 
In the Garden of Eden, Adam falls into sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus conquers sin. In the Garden of Eden, Adam eats the fruit and rebellion against God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus drinks the cup of suffering in obedience to God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam hides himself from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus presents himself to the guards. In the Garden of Eden, the sword was drawn. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the sword is sheathed. And so this is a new garden with a new man, this Jesus, the second representative for us, giving all of us a second chance. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of death also comes through a man. And as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Jesus comes to us. He sits in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he decides to follow and obey Jesus, the Father, and he does that for all of us. Just like Adam represented all of us in the first garden in rebellion against God, we're leaning on Jesus to also represent us to the Father in his righteousness, in his obedience to God. So when you think about um, what it means to be represented by Christ, it's the concept that he's the one who stands in the Father in our behalf. That it's not us representing ourselves. It's not us coming before God saying, here are my greatest strengths, my greatest accomplishments as a Christian, and sitting in our own pride and, and in our own self-reliance before the Father. And it's also not coming to him with our sin and having that be the first thing that he sees. Because there's so many moments where it's because of our sin that we, we stop going to the Father, that we are ashamed, that we hide, that we want to not come to church, right? That we don't pray because of our sin. We're saying, no, Jesus, you are a representative. You are the one that signs this contract with God on our behalf. And that's the primary reason why this God, the second person of the Trinity, comes to earth. It's, it's to represent us. He comes to sympathize with us, he comes to dwell among us, to be with us, to go through life with us. But primarily, he takes on flesh so that he can be the representative of humanity. He can't represent us unless he is us. And so he comes to earth and he says, I'm going to be the second Adam. I'm going to represent humanity before the Father and keep the covenant for people with God. So it's not about me keeping my, my deal with God, because I can't. I fall away, and I sin, and I stumble, and if it's about me following Jesus, following God, I'm going to fail. But what if it's not about me? What if it's about my hero who took on human flesh to represent me? One of the first covenants God makes with man is with Abraham. 
and he does it in a very dramatic way. It's, it's culturally normative for kings to come together and to make such a deep commitment and promise that they're saying, I put my life on the line to keep this promise. Meaning, if I break this, com- this covenant, I will die for that. And what they would do is they would split animals in half, from birds all the way to mammals. They would cut them, saw them in two, separate them, and make this bloody aisle of guts and blood and intestines. And they would walk through it, saying that if either of us break our promise, let this happen to us. We would be sawed in half. We would die for breaking that promise. And that's what God does with Abraham. He represents himself as a torch of light, and he passes through this gory aisle with Abraham, saying, let's keep this covenant with the repercussion of death in mind. But Abraham and all of us, we fall short of that covenant. We sin and we rebel against God, and we deserve death. We break our promise to him. We, we sin. We fall into greed and lust and gossip. And we break this promise and we deserve death. But what Jesus does is he takes on our human nature, our flesh, and he says, I will pay the penalty of this covenant being broken. I will be sawed in half. I will die for you. And then he also says, I'm going to keep the covenant for you. And when God makes this covenant with us, he doesn't do it between us and God and himself. He does it between us and the Son. The Son represents us in this new covenant. And we are in Jesus as he pays the price and as he lives a holy life on our behalf. We are in him. So that when we stand before God, it's not in deep sin, it's not in deep pride, but it's in humility and dependence on Jesus. And we need that, don't we? Because I think about this next scene and, and I resonate with Peter. You know, he's, he's slamming on the communion table. He's yelling at Passover. Jesus is saying, Someone, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus is saying, all of you are going to desert me. And, Je- and Peter says, no, not me. Not me. I'm going to go with you to death. I will never betray you. And we can stand before God in that position, can't we? With our chest puffed up, relying on our own self-will, relying on our pledges, relying on our righteousness and our good works, saying, God, look at me. I'm, I'm good. I'm solid. I'm not going to fail you. I won't fall like everyone else. Look at the, how consistent I am at church. Look at how I cared about this one person. Look at uh, the times I'm reading scripture, the homeless person I fed. And we can stand before God with that pride, leaning on our self-righteousness. And even then... We, we are sinning because it's about me again. Just like Adam, it's about me and about my good deeds. 
And then we have these other moments. You know, Simon is following Jesus at a distance. Um, He's disillusioned. And a servant girl walks up to him and, and she says, you are one of this man's disciple too, are you? He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and the officers stood around the fire to keep warm. And Peter, just like Judas was standing with the soldiers to betray Jesus, Peter sits and stands with them as well, as well warming himself by their fire with the same men who, who, addressed, who arrested Jesus, with the same soldiers that Judas stood by, Jesus is standing with as well. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you are one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servant, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Like, you, you kind of, you did that whole ear move, right? Um, L2 is the ear cut off in Mortal Kombat. And um, Peter denied it. And at the moment, the rooster began to crow. You know, standing before God on our own, we start to be hypocrites because we're not, even in our best moments, we're not good enough to stand before God. But we try. And so we put on a facade and we make, and we overpromise and we, we over emphasize our goodness because we're trying to stand before God. And then we're, we're disconnected from who we actually are because who we actually are many times is this. We fail him. We deny him. We fall short over and over again. I've been there. I'm talking to you from experience. I fail God, and I swear I won't, and then I fail him again, and then I swear I won't, and I fail him again, and then I just, I just start to separate, and then there's this really dark part of me, uh, maybe dark part of you that just wants to give up, that says, I just can't do it. I've, I've messed up too many times. I have too much sin, too much baggage, and when I stand before God, That's all he sees. That's all I see. I'm not his kid anymore. This is my last time at church. I'm just, I'm done. And and we just start to disconnect. We we have this over-hyper-spiritual Christian facade that tries to stand before a holy, good father. And as much as we exasperate who we are in our righteousness. We, we feel short of that. And then there's this other part of us that's dark and evil, and we just want to hide, and we want to deny that we even know him. But Jesus is saying, give both of those up, because I will represent you before the Father. You can have my righteousness, and I will take your sin, 
And when the Father sees you, he sees me. And you get to walk up to the throne of glory, glory in the position of the Son. How would that change your walk with God? Because, man, it, it would radically change how I approach Jesus. That my first step into the throne room isn't, oh, I've done so much wrong and I'm barely crawling my way here. It wouldn't be that anymore. It wouldn't be me stepping in and saying, hey, I'm good. I haven't sinned for like three weeks now. <laughs> I've done all these good things. Look at me. I wouldn't rate my spirituality against you. I would be able to be in Jesus, depending on him to approach God every time, not just the first time in salvation, but every time I pray, I am dependent on him. And every time I approach God, it's in humility. It's in this deep humility that is not based on my goodness. And thank you, God, it's not based on my sin. It's based on Jesus, the one who was cut down for my transgressions and the one who keeps the righteousness that I can. I stand in Jesus. If you were, could we just take like one minute just to come before God and practice that? Because I think for most of us, the moment we come before the Father, we're going to feel prideful or we're going to feel like a sinner and try to hide. But what if in this moment we, we walk into the throne room and then we say it's really about the Son and He's not just sitting before God looking at us. He is standing next to us and maybe in front of us representing us to the Father. How would that change your conversation with the Lord this morning? Let's just take one minute to approach God like that.
that it's not about you. It's about our hero. As we take communion this morning, we just think about the bread representing the flesh that Jesus took on for us, his humanity, so that because we needed a hero and all of our heroes have failed, all of them have failed. Jesus says, I'll be your hero. Not just your God, I will be your hero. I will take on human, human flesh, human nature, and I will let it be broken in feeble, weak hands for your sin. And then in my righteousness, you can come before the Father. As we take the bread, we think about the cost for our sonship and daughtership, the cost of coming before the Father. It was not free. It was this cup of suffering. But man, what an insult it is to the cross when we put it aside to try to represent ourselves. What an insult it is to the cross to think that it was not enough to pay for our sins and we need to do something else or we need to hide. I hope that as we come and take the bread and the wine, we would do it knowing that Jesus represents us and that we can come before the Father. You know, today um, you might have come to church and you're not sure if you're a Christian, but you're looking and you're wondering about that and you've hung out with us for a long time. I think, I think being a Christian really boils down to today's message. Um, would you today just say, yeah, man, if I were to come before God, I'd just get crushed. <laughs> my best works and my worst sins would get crushed. I would get crushed. But I need this hero, I need this Jesus to forgive me, and I want to give my life to him. That's what being a Christian means, that one decision, that you would say, Jesus, please forgive me. Represent me before the Father, and my allegiance is yours. I'll give my life to you. Would you pray the simple, simple prayer if, if that's what's on your heart, and then please come talk to me. But yeah, just talk to God and say, God, I know I messed up. I've done evil. Please forgive me, Jesus. I give my life to you. Amen.